Hello, everyone, and welcome into Debate Night. I'm not your typical host. I'm not Trevor, but I'm going to be the host today. Uh, Trevor's not able to be here, so you know I'm going to try my best to fill his shoes. I've got quite the talented cast with me, if you call it that. Um, so I'm pretty stoked for for this lineup, this lineup of questions, and I'm excited to see everyone taxi. But in the top left, we got Mr. Brody Smith. Thanks for having me on your show. Anytime, man. Anytime. Right above me, we got Sir Taylor. Hunter, you're looking great today. Nice. That feels good. And over to my, what is this, left, right, who knows? We got Tyler Tulowitzki. Last name you'll never forget. Happy National Tax Day. Boom. Yes. Great reminder. If you haven't got your taxes done, time to follow that extension. Uh, but we got uh, quite a few topics. We're also heading into a uh, major. I don't know if Trevor, I haven't looked at his show notes fully, but uh, we're also heading to a major. So I don't know if Trevor planned any questions, but very exciting week at disc golf. So next week's debate night is probably going to be loaded. Um, should be a great, great time. But w- last week we had a silver event go down in Marion, North Carolina at North Cove over on the gorge, which was a rather intense course um and it led to some possible exciting finishes that ended up being somewhat controversial um so down the stretch if you're not familiar basically what ended up happening is bradley williams when it was all said and done lost by two he was on the tee of 17 he ended up laying up on 17 took a par there then on the tee of 18 through what seemed to be a possible aggressive drive but relatively not in that great of a spot but put him in a spot where he could have got to a spot he could have thrown in, decided to lay up, lay up again, ended up taking a bogey, locking in his second place. But we didn't see much aggressive play out of him. It was a very strategic layup play. It seemed like he had a plan in place and wasn't going for the win. So question here to start the show off is, do you agree with Bradley Williams' decision-making on hole 17 and 18 of the Blue Ridge Championship? And whether you do or don't, what do you think his reasoning was? We're going to start it off with Brody. Okay, so hole 17, he was down two at the time that he was on the tee pad. Gannon had yet to tee off on hole 18. My thought is Bradley was probably thinking the chances of me birding 17 18 to tie Gannon are probably very unlikely. And both those holes, like if you try to birdie 17 and you throw it OB or you throw it in the hazard, you're taking a bogey. And if you try to birdie 18 and you don't, you we've seen all sorts of numbers on that. So I think he was thinking in that sense that winning at that time was probably out of the question. So he just wanted to secure a second place finish. Now, once he finished 17, gosh, I'm going to run out of time. Once he finished 17, um, (laughs) can we do an extension since this is at one minute? It's like so little time. Welcome to the show. God. No, you just got you just got down to point for that. My time's out. <laughs> I mean, you made half of a point. If even you're lucky, I gave you a point. All right, we're moving on. Next person to answer. We got Sir Tyler. <laughs> I, all right, here we go. So uh, yeah, so I think I'm on page with what Brody's saying. But if you look at 17, if I'm correct, if you go. OB left of that pin, you just drop there like Kyle did, right? Kyle Klein, right? It's just a drop. So yes. if you so if you go so what I don't understand is if you look at 17, you look at 18, 18, you had one birdie on there yesterday, and 17, you had 10, I think it was 10 birdies yesterday. Why would you not take the chance to birdie 17 and um 
try to take the chance of bir uh, birding 18. Also on Instagram, he did say the reason why he did go for his strategy was because for monetary reasons between second place and fourth place. So if that was the case, dude, go for the chance on 17 to birdie. So then you could then maybe play it safer on 18. I mean, I get he hadn't teed off yet, but you got to assume he might bogey. Take your chances on 17 where you can possibly birdie. Take something overstable. If anything, your miss is the left OB. You take the drop, you take par, and you go into 18. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but honestly, monetary reasoning is why he did what he did. I understand. All right. I, Brody is shaking his head drastically. It would have been great if he had, you know, used his time wisely to have been able to maybe explain what he's shaking his head at. But instead, we're going to throw it over to Taylor, who can, you know, maybe he sees it from Brody's point of view, or maybe he's going to agree with Tyler. Let's see. Yeah. So we did get some clarification on Instagram that he did it for monetary reasons. I think his game plan of playing 17 for par and trying to push on 18 would have worked a lot better if the weather just didn't turn into worst case scenario for him on 18. I think he was probably feeling a little timid running 18 as well. Cause I mean, his drive almost went out of bounds. He was pretty fortunate to be inbounds there. And it looked like he really did want to run it. Weather got really bad. Wind was gusting. He had to chase his umbrella down and that's when he switched disc and just kind of lay it up. I think he's thought that worst case that he could have lost second place there but i still have trouble agreeing with that because he's watching everybody else next to him on the leaderboard go out of bounds before he even throws that shot so i would have loved to see him run it i think again weather played a big factor in this and i obviously if you're going to go for one 17 should have been the one to go for all right here's what we're going to do we're going to give brody a chance because it seems like brody disagrees with with both of you so i'm gonna throw brody and tyler into a duel here to let them kind of duke it out. It seems like they're on both sides of the argument, pretty passionate. So Brody and Tyler are going to be thrown into a duel, and that way we can at least hear Brody's argument. But Tyler can obviously plead the case that, you know, biasly I agree with. So let's hear it. Brody versus Tyler. Brody, you start us off. Okay. 17 is an easier hold to birdie than 18, but it's not an automatic par like you were kind of saying of like, oh, just go over stable and go OB. If you go OB, you take it where you were last in bounds. And there's a good chance. I saw a lot of people go OB early there. And then now you have like a 40 footer with like the weather being what it was. That's not a given at all. Now you're also bogeyed. And now you have to par 18 to be able to hold on to second place. So I think playing for par on that hole made sense in the time, especially since he knew that Gannon had yet to tee off. Now, after finishing 17, he saw that Gannon had teed off and went OB and was most likely going to bogey hole 18. Now he goes into hole 18 with a one-shot deficit. Now he's thinking, if I birdie this hole, I can go into a playoff. Now he has to switch his mindset completely to, I can actually tie this thing, where before he was thinking there was no chance. Because why would he think that Gannon would... Because honestly, 18 is actually not that hard of a hole to par if you're literally playing for par. So he was just probably assuming Gannon was going to get par, two shots, no chance. I think Tyler or uh, Ta gosh, I think Taylor is right in the sense that if the weather was not chaotic like that, because it wasn't like that all day, it just came out of nowhere. I think if it wasn't chaotic like that, he would have been able to have a little bit more time to understand that giving it a soft run on eighteen would have hit, given him a chance to make. Uh, to uh to tie but also even if you give a soft run and let's say you go out of bounds worst case scenario he literally can chip up par or put in and take double he drops down to now tied for second and instead of going from second to fourth 
he just goes from solo second to tie for second, which is the difference of a couple hundred dollars versus a chance of winning and winning a couple, uh, a couple uh, thousand dollars more. So I just think the weather did have a play in it. He's no, he's normally a very logical, uh, methodical player. And I don't think he was able to kind of run through that because of the weather. Okay. My turn. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> my, my big thing is this, if you have to, you know, you're two shots behind, let's just say, you know, bogeys at worst. So, you know, you got to make up a stroke and you're looking at it. You have the seventh hardest hole. I'm sorry. Seventh, seventh hardest hole in the first hardest hole. Which hole are you going to go for birdie on? Which one are you going to risk? Well, you have to remember too, that he had people behind him. I, that I, he could pass that could pass him if he, if they birdie and he bogeys. Right, but if we're talking about like if he it, goes if he goes for that hole in bogeys and Calvin doesn't turn over his eagle and birdies it, now all of a sudden he's going into the final hole in third place, potentially in fourth place. Like it's, do you see what I'm saying? Like yeah, I his, know I do. In his I situation, do, but, he could it could get real dicey real fast for him. Right, but if he's if we're talking about his scenario for what his goal was, which was second place and not losing money, mm-hmm. it looks like what he did was worked out for him. But if mm-hmm. we're talking about winning the tournament you have to try to birdie 17 because 18, you just know it's not going to happen or it's going to be very unlikely for it to happen. And I understand that putt isn't the easiest, but I did see multiple players go out of bound and then still hit that putt. It is a 40 foot putt. I get that. Kyle hit that. Well, putt. it's a 40 foot putt. If you go out of bounds at 40 I know, feet, I know, I know. I get that. <laughs> it's I get a 50, that. it's a 50 foot putt. If you go out of bounds at 50 feet, it's a 65 foot putt. If you turn it over like Calvin did, and now you're in the hazard. Like, Positioning yourself to win that tournament, you had to birdie 17. I don't think it was the right it, play, but for him, it worked out because he got his money and that's what he wanted. But that's disappointing I'll, for disc golf yeah. in general. I guess the next question will kind of be what I want to talk about next. So I'll just not say it. For the sake of conversation. <laughs> All right. Quick. I think that was a, a solid. Yeah. 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 Go for it. Right. I just want to say, here, like, Taylor. get in here. No, I just want to say, like, you guys, I think it would have played out very differently. Like, if you look at body language, I think everybody just kind of wanted to get out of there. If world, if the world championship is at the gorge, like right now, and this is the case, I think that everything plays out much, much differently. I mean, like, it's pouring rain, it's cold. I think mentally, if it's worlds instead, you're stealing yourself, you're figuring it out. Otherwise, he's like, I'm going to get second, I'm going to get my money, and I'm getting off the course. One quick side comment, Calvin was smiling and chuckling after Bradley threw his drive on 17. I don't know if it was because Zach Melton said something funny to him or if he was laughing at Bradley for what his choice was. Mm. I think was... I do think I think what it comes down to is we're all looking at it as the three of us who would probably agree that he should have been more aggressive or looking at it as someone's trying to win. And I think Bradley Williams was looking at it as I'm okay with second place. I need to make sure I don't lose second place. And that's what it, what it comes down to. Um, I think if he he should have ran I, it on 18. He should have ran it on 18. That's that's Absolutely. the only mis- that's the only mistake when, he made. But he would have gotten yeah, less money if he went out of bounds. Right? Just a couple hundred dollars. Yeah, but I to think him he said oh, he had to go out of bounds twice. I don't think he knew that though. Is what I'm saying. I don't think he knew that that yeah. him by running it, the worst case scenario would be him losing two hundred bucks versus potentially winning an event. Also, can yeah. I say real? One uh, thing, so one, definitely, one la- can I, I say one last thing. Uh huh. One last go thing. Um, this doesn't need structure. No. <laughs> One last thing is we were kind of talking about this last night a little bit of how sometimes people that win on tour, it kind of gets forgotten really quickly, right? We don't really hear that much chatter of him winning preserve last year. Like he, he outright won preserve. 
So this could have been one of those wins. If he would have thrown, imagine this scenario. He throws in on 18 in that weather. Then him and Gannon go to hole one. He parks hole one. Gannon lands it in the hazard and he takes Gannon down in a playoff. That's a win, regardless of whether it's a silver event or whatever. That's a win that no one forgets. But it didn't happen though. No, I know, but I'm saying um, that's, that's one of the reasons why I think you maybe go for it. I think they would have played hole one again. I think is what they uh, said. For college nationals, for college nationals, the playoff was eighteen on repeat. So I don't that know also, if that's the same. That also would have been electric. Charge, a lot of it. That would have that would have been electric as well. Yeah, yeah. Which which is perfect for this next question because uh, eighteen I think calls a lot of different. Uh, we'll we'll call it controversy, but there was a lot of different opinions on hole eighteen as a hole itself, especially as a finishing hole. Um, you know, some people were talking about, cause you saw some people literally taking like 19s on the hole. Um, wow. And then you saw, you know, very, very few birdies. So in general, do you guys think hole 18 at the gorge was a flawed hole? And if so, what made it flawed? And if not, why on earth were we seeing such ridiculous scores? Uh, Tyler, you're going to lead us off on this one. So the definition of flawed, so we understand is blemish damage or imperfect in some way. So if the pro tour was trying to say, hey, we want to create some craziness on 18, congratulations, you accomplished that. But if you wanted to create a hole where there was a high risk, high reward, where you would, it would be a benefit if you went for the birdie and then you got it. But then if you missed the shot, you turned out to have, you know, a 10, 12, 15. I don't think you're going to accomplish much. Like, you don't want it to be an absolute blow up hole to finish. Like, can you imagine? if Bradley had like a two stroke lead and all of a sudden he took a 15 on that hole instead of taking a bogey or whatever the case may be, it would be insane. So I think it's all about what does the pro tour want? If they wanted something that was exciting and interesting, they've had a couple of interesting 18 holes that they've created these last couple of weeks that we've watched. And I think we saw that. So I, if, is it flawed? I don't know. Is it imperfect? I don't know, but I think they got what they wanted, which was something exciting on 18. I will say, uh, not this year, but last year's College Nationals, the scenario you just described, I won't call out the team, happened. Uh, team was in contention. I believe they were That's like a stroke it. back and took like a 14 on the hole. Yep. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> some people aren't aware of that. I wanted to make sure people knew yeah. that, that 18 has caused that before. Well, this right, year, too, it, it was a triple-double this year finish. Yeah, it was, uh, that was to, to an lose. emotional finish there. Uh, Taylor, <laughs> what you got? Yeah, I've seen a lot of the same opinions that 18 was too hard or kind of fluky. And I think my main takeaway is that just disc golfers as a whole, we love to complain. Like we spend most of the year talking about how we need to make baskets smaller, putting's too easy, course design needs to get harder. And we come into holes that actually start to challenge pros and everyone instantly flips the other switch. Like this is way too hard. OB's way too tight. I do agree the OB around the green was a little tight for my liking. It could have been a little looser, a little bit more friendly there. But I mean, I for one kind of really like to see, you know, a picturesque scenic hole that was really challenging causing players some trouble really making them think about how they wanted to score and golf and how to attack as opposed to just going out there throwing 450 foot hyzers and shredding every week i personally was a fan of the hole i don't think it was flawed all right now i'll throw it over to brody to round, round it out uh i went for the hole one time in practice and birdied it so um take that for what you will uh no, I played, I played the hole for par all three rounds. And I literally told myself the only reason I would ever try to birdie the final hole was if 
it meant something. Now, looking back, yeah, it would have been kind of sweet to birdie the final hole in my final round. But, I mean, I was seven over and six over the first two rounds, so it didn't really matter at all. The problem with the hole is not necessarily the hole. The problem with the hole is the way players are playing it. When you go for it on your second shot, you advance your disc, but you advance your disc into a spot to where you have to essentially throw a B again, unless you want to take a double bogey. And I don't think players that went for birdie and threw their second shot OB and now they're throwing their fourth shot. I don't think they were willing to chip up into the woods, chip over and take their double. They were like, I'm going to get on and save bogey. Mm -hmm. And then now it's like, okay, now I'm going to save double. It, it, It just spirals out of control. And then also I would just say too, you know, you have to remember silver events. The big difference in silver events is the bottom of the field, not the top of the field. And so we have a lot of players that are getting the chance to play on tour that normally don't. And so I also think that comes into play of people are just like, I want to try to birdie 18 because no one else has. And then you also just have the skill gap too for some of those players down at the bottom that are taking, you know, 11, 12, real quick? Go for it. I think what the Pro Tour is doing is they're recognizing course management. And I think disc golf uh, in whole has not caught up to how to manage a course and not go. I mean, because now disc golf is all about, in my opinion, birdie, birdie, going for birdies, going for birdies. Instead of managing your way around the course, like in ball golf, like you have to do. And I think they're starting to create some holes like that now. And people are starting to lose their minds because they don't know how to course manage. Brody, exactly what you said. That is how you manage a hole. And I think you played it perfectly. Yeah, and I think I think it would have came down like had the weather not been miserable. Sure. And then also I would say too, you know, no slight at Bradley, but had you put someone in the position where Bradley was in that like could like a Calvin that could throw considerably farther because I played with Calvin one round out there in practice and he threw his tee shot to the point of where he had like a 300 foot shot into the basket, which is now it's a little bit less dicey than trying to throw 400 foot shot into the basket. I think you get a lot of what we're looking for at the end of these tournaments where it's like, Oh man, this could be a two shot swing hole. And I think that's what that hole kind of allowed. I would say maybe they can take one tree down from the Island on the right hand side. There were 10 birdies on that that hole. There was 10 birdies on that hole the entire week. So it's a good hole. Yeah, I mean, what a lot of scoring separation. uh, yeah, I personally, I thought it was a good hole. I didn't think it was a great hole 18 just because I think where the scoring separation came from, it was too kind of almost too easy to par if you're playing for par. And for a lot of the field, it was too hard to birdie, in my opinion. Um, mm. So that was kind of where I landed on it. But a lot of good takes on it. I think overall, it wasn't a flawed hole. Um, I think it was just, you know, it like Brody, I think Brody hit the nail on the head where you had a very weak bottom of the field. And that's what made the hole at times seem way more intense and scary than it actually was had there been a, a full actual pro tour field out there um now the other thing this this event brought to us was our fourth chase card winner of the season i believe through only five events is this just some weird coincidence or is this like a glimpse into the future and the big question with this is how will this affect how we as a sport watch coverage moving forward and try to cover the sport moving forward um I believe Ty, Tyler will lead us off on this one. Nope, Taylor will lead us off on this one. Mm-hmm. 
I definitely think um, this is a glimpse into the future. And I think it's a side effect of field strength overall getting higher that I haven't heard a lot of talk about. And in previous years, we heard a lot of players mention that they wanted to make lead card in tournaments, especially on the last round, because the level of play there and the intensity that the top players are bringing really kind of brings that competitiveness out of you and makes you want to play up to your competition. But now that same level of talent, professionalism, it's making its way down like the third and fourth card in a lot of tournaments. So we're seeing the rise of level of play kind of come alongside that when it comes to coverage i mean you gotta be sweating if you're jomez but you're ecstatic if you're gatekeeper or dgn i think these performances along with some changes the dgn's made overall with the first round being the free one and just quality improvements overall is really kind of cementing this season as where live kind of starts to take the reins over for post-produced yeah it definitely uh definitely seems to go in the favor of of live coverage but it's definitely going to be interesting because there's still a lot of people holding on to that post-produced and i'm I'm curious how they're feeling about this season so far. Um, Brody, what's your take on it? Yeah, you know where we're not seeing this happen? FPO. Mm. Right? Like, it's not happening over there. And why is that? Well, it's because, you know, we've kind of talked about how FPO, as far as like the strength of their field and stuff, is, you know, five years, 10 years, something like that, back from where the MPO is, right? We're slowly seeing them kind of catch up to where the MPO side is. And right now on the MPO side, you have so many people that can win. You have so many people that um, are close enough to the leaders now where people aren't really running away with tournaments like they used to in the past. And then the other thing I would say too, is this we're starting to see with courses as well that you can't hide. You can't just hold on to your lead and play a course and be like, all right, well, I'm just going to birdie 12 holes and play play the two or three hard holes safe, and then see if someone can you know try to catch me. Uh, you can't do that out here, like especially the course we just played. You cannot do that. And so I think we're starting to see how when you have a stronger field and when you have courses that require you to throw shots over and over and over again, the pressure mounts. Anything can happen. And I would just say with coverage. You know, hopefully the sport continues to grow and we continue to get more cameras out there because at this point, that's the only way of really, um, last thing I'll say, I was going in between the RBC heritage and disc golf network. I was watching the both, both of those happening at the same time. It is shocking how little shots we see in disc golf compared to golf. It is in golf, they complain too all the time about we don't see enough shots, commercials. My goodness. I mean, they are showing five times as many shots as we're seeing in disc golf. So imagine if we were able to kind of catch up a little bit. Coverage would be so incredible. Because right now, I feel like, what, what do you guys think? Like 15% of the time we're seeing shots? And then like 85% of the time we're seeing them play like tic-tac-toe in the dirt? <laughs> right <laughs> i don't know if we'd go we'd go that far uh but you think yeah, more I mean, than 15 percent of the time golf, we're seeing shots well we're seeing um, the first three groups but we're not seeing anyone else hmm. yeah i know but i think yeah. a lot it's, it's I'm, a i think i'm just like currently i'm seeing like a lot of drone shots i'm seeing like a lot of leaderboards i'm seeing a lot i, I don't know if you next time you watch it just like you know have a stopwatch and like literally go okay someone's about to throw stopwatch Someone through, boom. And then, like, see the times that we're just like, oh, we're just going to walk down the fairway of one Dead with them. Time. And then, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's tough because they don't have enough I, cameras. But I'll throw it over to Tyler to wrap it up. 
Uh, one thing I got to say about FPO, Queen, Kristen, Tatar. That's it. Yeah. That's why there's no chase card winners. Um, unless she's on it, but you know, she's usually not or five, six, seven, or eight. So uh, I want to give a shout out to my brother for having a hot take beginning of the year to saying we'd have at least four chase card winners this year. He, and we've already gotten there. So shout out to him real quick. Um, I just want to say that this is definitely something that we're going to be seeing in the future. I think that the disc golf network is, has won this season because of this. Uh, I think Jomez is sweating right now. I've talked to a couple of friends that like to wait it out for Jomez and uh when i'm reading the text like don't spoil it i'm laughing because i'm thinking you're going to spend an hour and a half of your life wasted when you figure out no one wins from the from the elite card elite oh. card so they then will text me afterwards and be like that was terrible now i gotta go watch gatekeeper and i'm like yeah so gatekeeper probably we gotta take a look to see if gatekeeper is getting more views this year because of what has happened i know it was a silver series so it didn't happen this week with the jomez but I think there needs to be a collaboration with coverage going forward that needs to be talked about soon. And I think Jomez and Gatekeeper, if they want to stay relevant in the future, they need to talk to the Disc Golf Network and be like, all right, how can we collab together and make this work to where we both are monetizing ourselves? We both can stay in business. And as Brody's saying, we can see a ton more shots. I think there needs to be cutting more to the booth, to hearing some analysis in the booth like they do in, in golf as well. And then they can cut back to the scene. Um, but yeah, I think this is a thing for the future to come. The depth has gotten way too deep in the field. Uh, so we're going to see a lot more chase cards winner this year, I, I, I think. What if Disc Golf Network just owned everything? They could. That'd Why be, not? That could be something in the future. A quick points update. Quick points update before we head into the final question before the rapid fire round. Um, We've got Brody sitting at three. He has been docked three points for time. Uh, we got Tyler sitting at five, and then we got Taylor sitting at six. Brody, just for note, you're about two minutes and ten seconds on that last topic. Time limit's one. So just just for a quick side note there. I also am realizing I'm a the, lot less heavy on the points than Trevor, but, you know, it is what it is. Different show. All I'm going to say is people in the comments are going to have my back that one minute to talk about some of these things is not enough time, and I'm just... Hey, they don't, don't like. The they don't, I'm just running Trevor's show. I'm just saying, people are going to have my back. They don't like it when we're like, oh, yeah, and then and, and, and Bradley Williams went up to the disc, and he threw the disc, and then he said he went to the disc, and then... No, I know, but I'm, just, I'm I never not cut talk, you off. I'm not, I'm not going to talk away. like that. I'm not going to talk like a Guinness World Record speaker of like fastest words minute per okay. minute. I'm not going to do it. I You're welcome. You're dock welcome to my take points. five minutes. You'll just Freaking probably go to negative points. points. Fine, dock. All them. right, the last. Uh, I want your stupid points. <laughs> the last topic here before the rapid fire round goes away from the tournament that just happened, but goes more towards just like a thought process behind disc golf in general it's one that's been talked about several times on a bunch of different you know reddit social media in general and um it's an interesting one but i think it's a polarizing topic a bit so should disc golf implement a disc limit on the professional side of disc golf ever in the future and if so how many discs should be allowed we're going to kick it off with brody here i would definitely say that this would increase the difficulty for some players others i don't think it would impact them as at much as, as much at all um mm. yeah i don't know about this i don't I'm, i don't really stand on one side or the other i would be down for it if the pdga or the disc golf pro tour came out and was like we're only gonna allow you guys to carry 15 discs i'd be like all right cool um but i'm also fine with people carrying 30 discs I don't really have like opinion on either way. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I'm not, 
I'm not really. Sick. Yeah, there's a topic right. that I'm not. I don't, <laughs> I don't. There's a topic I don't really we're care gonna, about that we're much. We're gonna throw it over. <laughs> we're gonna throw it over to Tyler now. All right, so I'm gonna say yes. We should go to a disc golf limit. Uh, part of what Brody said in the beginning to make it more difficult. But in ball golf, you have a 14 club limit in your bag. So in disc golf, let's say let's make it 15. So you get to carry two putters which you don't do in ball golf. You carry two putters and the rest of your bag. I think that would elevate the level of, I think it elevates the level of play actually, because what it does is it makes, as you we heard in Brody's uh, podcast with Ken Climo was that the discs nowadays are over more overstable, which means you don't see the finesse shots as much. And I think if you limit the amount of disc, people got to get more creative with disc. Um, they might put different variety of discs in their bag instead of having like 17 pigs in their bag and, all these different uh i know you they beat them in to fly them in but uh, let's see some variety let's make it difficult let's make it you know a little bit of a change but i think the pro uh tour needs to think what kind of direction we want to take we want to be traditional or do we want to be more progressive all right some good points made there let's throw it over to taylor to wrap it up i just want to quickly start off with shout out to brody for going to the comments will save me i'm here for the content not the points and then on the last topic hitting us with the big i i got no opinion <laughs> but um i <laughs> that's on trevor man he is that was the lamest topic to finish this off <laughs> hey guys do you think we should not let a uh, pink disc allowed should we not we still have gotta pink discuss disc? it we still gotta discuss it. i don't care that's a lame topic <laughs> Should you know we make what? one up? Minus points. Minus points for coming after Trevor when he's not here to defend himself. All right, Taylor. You, Taylor's on the You're clock. I'm restarting. Just, yeah, go, is, just go to the rapid time, fire round. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I uh, I don't think a disc limit should be imposed. I like I can understand it makes it harder. It brings some storylines into a tournament. But I've mentioned before, I'm all for bringing like player personality and uniqueness into the sport. And we definitely see a lot less bag diversity in the game. I also think it adds a small physical element, like hauling around your treasure trove of discs if you want to bring it. I just turned 30 last weekend. I usually carry a pretty loaded grip A-series bag. I'm starting to look for maybe something consolidated, smaller. Atlas DGS is over here. It looked like they got some good stuff. We'll see what happens. But it is a it is a burden on either the player or the caddy to like bring around all these discs. But overall, I like seeing you you know unique shots, unique discs, and even if we don't see them as often, just like Casey's tilt throw in, Yuli's get out of jail free Avenger SS come to mind, and they hate to lose those just for like an arbitrary restriction. Interesting. It sounds like both Tyler and Taylor have a similar end game, which is unique shots and unique throws, but different ways to get there. So you know what? This topic ended up being pretty good. Uh, to round, round it out, though, for heading into the rapid fire round, we have Brody, unfortunately, being eliminated, only accumulating two points throughout that entire show there. And then we got Tyler at eight and Taylor at seven. They're going to be joining us in the rapid fire round. All right, the Rapid Fire Round today is brought to you by our Patreon, the Heiser Club. You can check it out. We have a 30-day free trial going on, a bunch of different tiers over there. You can head over to patreon.com slash golf and join up with the Heiser Club. Get all kinds of uh, bonus content, all kinds of fun stuff. And in addition to that, you might be able to have a little input on the show and get us some questions. But Tyler and Taylor are pretty close here. Uh, Tyler's in the lead. We're going to let you choose. you want to go first or second here? Let me get that. All right, we're going to have Tyler going first. So we're going to go first topic here. We actually were just talking about this slightly. Taylor brought it up in one of his points. 
um, where people always talk about disc golf needing to be harder. One of the most common ways that this is talked about is with disc golf baskets changing. Uh, do you think that disc golf baskets need to change on the pro level in any way? And if so, what do you propose? Lead us off. So I'm going to go back to ball golf. When you look at ball golf in the, in the, what you need to get the ball into the hole, it has to be proportional in size to make it reasonable. So I think you have to really look at the size of the uh, disc to be in proportion uh, to the basket as well. I think if you're going to create a harder putting experience, um, we got to make, I think the longer putts a little bit more difficult. Actually, I think the step putt is a little bit more of a cheat code. I think we got to get rid of the step putt. Um, and that way we level the playing field when nobody gets to use that advantage if they get to use that. Um, but yeah, I think we need to evaluate be like, all right, I think there needs to be a trial uh, process maybe with a couple different, maybe a tier events. I think they should give it a shot on some tournaments and see what happens. All right, Taylor, what about you? If anything, I just love to be see kind of like a standardized chain configuration across all baskets. And I kind of get the argument that this can be similar concept to like oil patterns in bowling. But if we want to go that route, I just kind of want to go all in and see something crazy, like no chains on the left side, like something wild. But I mean, that opens up an entirely new can of worms to try and regulate. Um, I'm not really on board with making baskets smaller simply because I think that, you know, long C2 putts, aces, throw-ins adds a lot of visibility, adds a lot of excitement to the sport. And at the end of the day, I'm also not really on board for you know ams and pros playing on a different target and kind of differentiating the courses that we already have in the ground versus what we'd see you know visibility wise for the sport just doesn't feel like a great fix to me either you know i've never really thought about standardizing the chain configuration that is a, a great point that i've never i've never even considered but after the first rapid fire question we have tyler and taylor all tied up at nine points each taylor's going to be leading us off for the second question which we go into we've seen recently um a kind of uptick. We've seen some nice caddy bibs implemented on the pro tour to kind of stand out who's allowed in the ropes, who's not allowed in the ropes. But with that, what seems to be happening is a lot of times the, you know, players, significant others, friends, whoever is being given the caddy bib and not carrying the bag. So question here is should pro tour caddy rules continue to get stricter by not only requiring them to wear the vest, but also require them to carry the bag or do we kind of leave it as it is? And you know, it was just a step in the right direction. And we just let it grow that way. Taylor lead us off. Yeah, for one, I'm not in favor of any change that'll make it more likely for a Caddygate 2.0 situation. We are coming up on the anniversary here at Champions Cup. Just want to make sure everybody remembers that that happened. Um, we really just, I don't think we've seen disc golf naturally progress to where it'll end up as it gets a little bit more professional, more money comes in. I mean, currently caddies are really just like an emotional support tool more than anything else, just to make the players feel a bit more comfortable out there. But I think we've got a lot more growing to do as a sport kind of naturally and let that position progress before we start kind of adding more additional rules and additional restrictions on top of it. All right. What about you, Tyler? So I think, again, this goes about what I said a couple minutes ago about the pro tour needs to figure out what kind of direction do they want to go. If they're going to make it more really professional and really well done, I think you absolutely got to put a rule in place that says your caddy needs to do so, so, and so, and dress so, so, and so. And um, I think, yeah, I think the people who, you know, put their significant other all, you know, walking with them. I mean, it just doesn't look professional. I know it's traditional for people and disc golf is quote unquote laid back. 
but I think we should we go ahead and make the push for it. Let's put people on the back that look professional, that help out. I think it just looks good in general, aesthetically. When you see the player and the caddy talk about their shots and hear it about it, that's the greatest thing about Jordan Spieth and his caddy is that you get to hear their conversations they're having. We, If we're going to normalize that in disc golf, we need to create uh, an environment that allows your caddy or that is making your caddy more professional uh, to have those type of um, environments. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting almost transition period, I think, right now for disc golf where we're, we're headed towards that professional level and we're trying to decide kind of where are we going to go? Where are we going to end yeah. up? And, um, you know, as they navigate, I think it's definitely an interesting, interesting thing to keep a, keep an eye on. But when we were talking about this on grip lock, where we landed is there's a lot bigger fish to fry before we worry about who's wearing the caddy bib inside the ropes. So, sure. uh, to wrap it all out, we're headed into the first major of the year this weekend, uh, kind of wrapping up really over the first quarter of the season. It's been a little more than the quarter of the season, but we'll call it the first quarter of the season's wrapping up. Storylines are starting to develop, and I think that there's two storylines we want to focus on here and get your opinions on. So we're going to start off with Tyler. Which MPO or FPO player, I thought I was going to say and, so that's why I said two, only one storyline needs to be focused on. Which MPO or FPO player has the most pressure on them to turn their season around after a slow start heading into the major and the rest of the season? Tyler. I think you can go many different directions here, but it has to be Ricky Waisaki. And the reason for that is because he's barely playing, so we don't really know what he can and can't do. We haven't really seen him on coverage either. That's the weird part. So we can't like make an assumption like, oh, Ricky, this part of Ricky's game isn't good. The last time he won a major was 2017. That's nearly six years ago. And look at all the other players like Eagle, Gannon, Paul. They're all winning majors. Ricky hasn't done anything. He wins tournaments. He wins, he wins the uh, tour championship at the end of the year, which is all great. But there's a lot of pressure because he hasn't podium. He hasn't played well. He DNF'd. You know, Lord knows why he DNF'd. It could have been injury. It could have been for preserving something, as some people speculate. But I think Ricky's got a ton of pressure to see, especially going into his first major, what he's capable of. If he wins this week, then we're not talking about it anymore, right? But anyways, it has to be Ricky. I, I fully agree. Yeah, I think that's a good a good point there, especially when he steps on the tee. I forget the exact stat, but it's over 2,000 days since his last major win. If you're trying to cement yourself as one of the best players in the sport, you can't have streaks like that. So that's definitely an interesting one. Taylor, what's your take on it? Yeah, I'm going to go with the other side of the same coin. You know, we saw this week, first time since 2013 that Paul or Rick are not in the top three in power rankings, but you can go with the guy who hasn't been playing with some pressure. How about the guy who has been out there grinding and just playing very poorly in Paul Macbeth? Anytime he's throwing well this year, his putt is non-existent, and when his putt is there, he cannot get off the tee. At Vegas, he was first with almost 13 strokes gained putting, but 35th tee to green. Waco, he was top 10 tee to green, but 94th in C2 putting. Austin, top 5 tee to green, 56th in stroke gains putting mco he just played poorly overall he's yet to finish in the top five this year he is out there grinding he's actually playing and the results are just not there and it's not something we've really ever seen from paul for this long he's got a lot of pressure on him at the major to turn it around for sure can i say one thing to that real quick yeah go for it i 100 percent understand that and i thought about using the exact same reasoning taylor but the thing is we've seen paul play terrible going into a world championship and win it that's my only thing about why we have to say Ricky over Paul. I mean, I'm going to give the win that, here to Taylor only because oh, – go for it. 
I was say to respond to that. I mean, no. he played. I think I'm on a delay. So I hear you guys like five seconds yeah. behind. I was gonna say I hope Taylor right now loses after you're about he's to crown him for what he's about to say. He's <laughs> <laughs> throwing all away. Yeah, I'm just gonna say Paul really. I feel like overall played pretty poorly at that Worlds too, and just some heroics at the end. It's usually the putt with him that's not there, but I mean, there's just no consistency so far this year. So it, it seems like it's a mental thing, which is like decades ago. Like that's Paul's you know, one shining advantage is the mental. Six years, no majors. True. Yeah, I'm gonna say so. The reason I'm gonna give it to Taylor is simply, simply because I think that there is something to be said about a player being out there and having a slow start week in and week out versus a player who is coming back from an injury. And you know, there's a lot of question marks around Rick. A lot of those questions are already answered for Paul this season. Um, so I think that, in my opinion, and you know, as the one giving out points, I guess I gotta have my opinion. Uh, I gotta lean with Paul there. So I'm gonna give the win here to Taylor, the now two-time champion of the show. Um, a great, you know, I think it was a good show. Uh, hopefully, I did Trevor justice here. Um, he held has a lot of power with these points, man. I mean, I could have done a number of things. I mean, that would have been way more fun. So who knows? Who knows? Hopefully next time I'm back as an analyst, I feel like that's where I belong over the host spot. But Taylor, it's time for your victory lap. What do you got to say? Yeah, interesting show this week. I mean, low scoring affair. I see Brody ended up at negative seven somehow here. We're just oh, going right, to right, right. go to the radar, but I <laughs> yeah. no, appreciate, uh, appreciate the opportunity. Good to talk to everybody. And uh, yeah, we'll see uh, see if the scores improve here in the next couple weeks with Trevor back. A little bit more liberal points usage. Shout I out do- Dylan. Oh, oh go, you go for it. I'll shout, just out. Say shout out Dylan Horse this coming up. Uh, Champions Cup local boy here. Um, Just some potential questions for next week. Should chalk bags be banned? Should we have lefty only holes? Should we have a live yeah. commentary option in Spanish? What color should baskets be? What's the best course snack? What pro has the best pet? It's all like BuzzFeed articles. <laughs> I mean, the basket one, you could heavily debate that. The chalk bag, I mean, there's a, you just gave us a lot of good uh, fire for future ammo there. So I'm sure next week Brody just set the – he's gone. Brody just set the, the pace for next week, I think. I think that's going to be the entire show next week because we're just going to ask Brody what colors should be allowed in disc golf. Um, now, hopefully you enjoyed this show. Thank you all so much for tuning in, and thank you, Tyler and Taylor, and what's left of Brody uh, for being here and answering these questions. And you know what? Hopefully next week Trevor's back and he can restore some order to this chaotic show. We'll see you then. <laughs>